Antidepressants. We have tricyclic antidepressants, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, atypicals, and atypicals. Atypical antidepressants and atypical antipsychotics. All used for the purpose of making you not depressed. So let's talk about depression. You're going to learn a lot more about it in your psych class, but the basic definition is a depressed mood, loss of pleasure, or interest in usual activities. But it does not mean having a bad day or even a bad week. It is sustained over time. And usually what you're talking about is a month or more. So if you, if you uh, fail a test next week and you're moping around because you failed your test, that's not depression. If you're still moping around a month from now, that would be depression. Now, there, as far as subtypes, there's what we call major depression. And this is the, when, when we talk about depression, this is what we usually mean, major depression. That differs from clinical depression in that clinical depression means you've been diagnosed correctly. A lot of doctors, if you go into a doctor and you say, you know, I've been feeling sad and depressed, they go, okay, depression. That's not clinical depression. Clinical depression is when you've met the criteria for depression. You'll learn about all of the criteria in your psych class. Subclinical depression means depression that has not yet been diagnosed. Postpartum, made famous by two people, Brooke Shields and... Tom Cruise, because Tom Cruise says it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, bereavement depression is also, you know, it's natural to feel sad when you have a loss of a loved one. What's not natural is to go into depression for a long time afterwards. Do you have a question? Or are you just stretching? Okay. Yes. All right. Now. Um, every patient, repeat after me, every patient in the hospital needs to have depression addressed. You didn't say it, Kelly, say it. Good. Who else didn't say it? Say it. All right, way to go. Now, some of the reasons for that are loss of functionality. A patient can't do what they normally do. If you're used to bringing home the bacon and you feel like you're a failure because you're not working and bringing home the bacon and your family is going is to have trouble because of that, or maybe you're the mother and you're used to keeping things running smoothly at home and what's going to happen to the kids? Who's making them their highly nutritious meals? Who's doing the laundry? That loss of function can cause depression. Another is the loss of youth. If you, if you end up in the hospital and you realize all of a sudden, I'm not as young as I used to be, and I've got these diseases that my parents used to have, that can cause depression. Or if you feel like you've lost control because you don't have control over your life anymore. If you end up with a chronic illness, people with chronic illnesses are highly susceptible to depression. And the other thing is, who sleeps when they're supposed to sleep in the hospital? And even if you can fall asleep, what do they do? Wake you up to see if you need pain medicine. 
<laughs> and the other thing is lowered exercise. Exercise protects against um, depression. And then finally, the altered role, which goes back up to loss of functionality. All right, now, treatments for depression. Treatments for depression include cognitive therapy. What is cognitive therapy? What we usually mean by that, it means thinking therapy, and what we usually mean is um, some form of counseling. Yeah. So that could be psychoanalysis, or it could be problem solving, or any number of other types of thinking type therapies. You'll learn more about them in psych. Next, we have behavioral therapy. Rather than thinking, we're going to do. So, art therapy, exercise therapy, dog therapy, pet, or I think it's called pet therapy, <laughs> music therapy, you're going to do something. Now, one of the things that happens in depression is people stop doing. I just don't feel like I have any energy. I just don't feel like I can. So by actually doing something, sometimes you jumpstart them into being normal again. So depression is kind of a self-feeding mechanism. You know, you're like, I don't have any energy and I can't do anything and that's why I'm depressed. So then you don't do anything and then you're like, well, see, I, I'm not doing it. I can't do anything because I'm depressed and I'm depressed because I can't do anything. So it just kind of feeds on itself. Next, we have ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. Put electrodes on the head and shh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The difference now is that we paralyze you before we do it. So you don't, so you don't break your teeth off anymore. And you don't have horrible pain afterwards. By the way, when they do electroconvulsive therapy, you shock the brain. It makes all of the muscles in the body completely rigid. And people have broken bones, broken their teeth off, you know, from clenching their teeth. So what they do now is they paralyze them with well the brain is just an electrical organ and all of those signals are electrical so it's kind of like let's just let's, yeah it's like let's try and reboot the brain is what it is essentially is yeah and then finally the topic of today's discussion drugs now the older protocol this is what we used to do maybe even 10 years ago, five years ago. We wanted to treat major depression for 6 to 12 months and then stop. And then if it ever came back, we'd do it again. Nowadays, though, people are on some of these therapies long-term, five years or more, or even lifelong. The other thing is there's a trend toward diagnosing it earlier and earlier. So you're going to see a lot of... Who wants to do peds around here? You're going to see a lot of 15-year-olds who are on multiple uh, antidepressants. Now, the question is, we want to distinguish between situational transient depression and a major depression. Situational or transient depression will get better on its own. How many of you ever had a pet who died and you felt sad for a week or two and then you got better? And how many of you took drugs for that? See, the problem was, was self-limiting and got better on its own. What we don't want to do is treat someone long-term with, with drugs for a situation that will naturally get better for. And that's where the trick comes in. All right, so let's talk about the drug classes. The first drug classes are TCAs, or tricyclic antidepressants. They're called tricyclic because they have three 
circular, circular uh, shapes. Now, they are old drugs. They've been around since the 60s, and they are cheap because they are old. But they are what we call dirty drugs. And the reason they're dirty is because they do multiple actions. They work in different ways. Sometimes we're not sure how they work. But a lot of them inhibit norepinephrine and serotonin reuptake. What's that going to do to the amount of norepinephrine and serotonin in the brain? It's going to make it increase. So because there's multiple actions, there will be multiple side effects. Some drugs make a person drowsy. Some make a person not able to sleep, etc. Now, they are not effective for depression except at high doses. But what's the problem with that? The higher the dose, the more side effects. A lot, of patient, a lot of patients will either stop taking them or become toxic before it actually gets rid of their depression. But, stop taking them. Yeah. I put an extra L in there, even though I was not reading a script. <laughs> They'll stop taking them or they will become toxic before they actually become therapeutic. However, if you can get a patient to a high enough dose, it will work for their depression. Um, these are often used as adjuncts for sleep. So if you have a patient who's not sleeping well, you can put them on a low dose of one of these and help them sleep. They're also used sometimes for um, different neural problems that have nothing to do with, um, with depression. So for instance, say someone has a wisdom tooth pulled out and they've got numbness and tingling in their jaw. Sometimes we'll give them a tricyclic antidepressant to help reduce the amounts of numbness and tingling. Um, adverse effects, orthostatic hypotension, anticholinergic effects. Give me a few. Okay, red, red skin, dry skin, impaired vision, mad as a hatter, crazy. Give me another one. Hot as a hair. We already did red as a beet. All right, dry as a bone, dry skin, dry mouth, dry eyes, dry poo, a.k.a. constipation. All right, can also have diaphoresis, sedation, cardiac toxicity, seizures, and here's one, hypomania. What is hypomania? All right, now this brings us to our first distinction among depression types, unipolar versus bipolar. Now, what does unipolar mean? One pole. You're either down or you're normal. Down or normal. Down or normal. Depressed or normal. Bipolar means you're up or down or up. And the up is called mania. And just below mania is a little bit of mania, which is hypomania. So you're not full-blown out there loony manic, but you're a little bit. Just, just a little, just a little out there. Yes. Okay. Um, that's called flat. Yeah. Now. Okay. So here's here's the thing. Yeah. Hey, look. This is from AMP uh, one. You guys learned everything we just did in the last little section in AMP1. Did you know that? 
<laughs> You're like, nope, I didn't learn that. No, I'm tutoring AMP1. I don't have a... All right. I don't know if you'll be able to see this from the back. All right, this line, this little range right here represents normal. Okay? So, let's say you pass your test. Where are you going to be? Up here. Not, I mean, you're not going to be crazy, but you're feeling really good. <laughs> you fail your test, you come down here. You buy a new house, you're up here. Your house has termites, you're down here. <laughs> but most people stay within this kind of normal range. Now, depression, the person comes down here and stays down here. In bipolar, the person can go up or down, abnormally so. Now, the problem with if you have someone who's, who's got bipolar and you treat them with normal antidepressants, normal antidepressants can cycle them into mania. So one of the most important things that should be done is when a patient is diagnosed with depression, the, um, the physician needs to rule out bipolar disorder. Because, and one of the ways you can do that is when you treat them and if they go hog wild crazy, you cured me after three days, I'm better, yeah! You didn't help them, you hurt them, because now they're manic. So, first rule of thumb, all antidepressants take two to four weeks to really work. If the person is cured after three days, it was not depression, it was bipolar. Or it was just never really depression in the first place. Two to four weeks, maybe longer. That I means so just to begin working. So, the first thing we learn here about hypomania is that all antidepressants can cause a person with bipolar to go from depression into mania. Now, which is worse, depression or mania? Well, people like mania because it makes them feel good. But it can also lead to killing oneself, ruining one's fortune, uh, draining the family fortune. Selling pe people sell their houses or their cars for like $10. People run up $30,000 of credit card debt in a day. Could mania also be down? Like staying down? No, that would be depression. So manic is below depression and mania is down? No, so de depression is down here. <laughs> Depression is down here, mania is up here, hypomania is just a little bit up. Hypomania is not normal at all. Yes, ma'am. Manic depression, is, that, is, that depression is, the, is the old name for bipolar. It's either one or the other. You're not both at the same time. All right. Now, with the tricyclic antidepressants, we're going to start them on a very low dose to avoid toxicity and we're going to take several weeks before we build them up to the finally therapeutic levels. If you start at high doses, all you do is increase side effects. You do not actually decrease the time it takes to become therapeutic. As far as selecting a drug, most of them are dosed daily and you usually choose the side effects. If you've got a patient who can't sleep, you're going to choose one with more sedating side effects. If you've got someone who sleeps all the time, you're going to have them take one that has more excitatory side effects. 
So the three drug names you need to recognize, amitriptyline, nortriptyline, and imipramine. You'll be uh, very familiar with these when you get to psych. Trade names are Elevil, Pamelor, and I forget Imipramine's trade name. Say again? No, because I think they're on your must-know drug list. You do use it for something else, and I can't remember what it is. It's something psych-specific. Yeah. Again, they're used for all kinds of neurological disorders in addition to depression. All right, next we have the MAO inhibitors. Now, these are old drugs. What does MAO do? What does monoamine oxidase do? MAO, yes. What does MAO do? No. Monoamine oxidase. Amine oxidase. It is something that is going to destroy some kind of amine. What kind of amine? A monoamine. And that monoamine is just, what are the catecholamines that you know of? Epinephrine and norepinephrine. So MAO breaks down epinephrine and norepinephrine. Now, if we inhibit MAO, you're going to get an accumulation of norepinephrine. So more norepinephrine in the brain makes you feel better, gives you more energy. And that's how MAO inhibitors work. They're very old drugs. They work well, but they've got a nasty little consideration. What is that? Well, okay, they can cause hypertensive crisis, but... Tyramine-containing foods, avocados. Okay, no Latin person's ever going to take one of those. <laughs> well, I wouldn't take them. Can't have guacamole. You can't have cheese. You can't have wine. You can't have beer. You can't have soups. You can't have soy sauce. Oh, wait. No, now no Asian person can ever take them. No chocolate. Now no woman can ever take them. <laughs> No caffeine? All right, no one can take them. No smoking? Oh, no, smoked foods. So now you can't have smoked salmon. You can't have bacon. You can't have smoked ribs. So, so my comment is, yeah, no wonder they're depressed. What? Yeah. You pretty much you can't have anything worth eating. Yeah. Now, in addition to the two the two drugs we use for as MAO inhibitors, linazolid, which is an Zyvox. Uh, some of you have given Zyvox in clinical, by the way. Hannah. Mm -hmm. Your patient had it PO because. No, you should all know what it is because you all had it in your antibiotics lecture. <laughs> it is broad spectrum. What's his claim to fame? Oh, it's lots of the. Mm -hmm. 
It's used for VRE and MRSA. And it also has MAO inhibition. So patients who are on Zyvox have the same dietary limitations while they're on it. The thing about depression is how long do we treat depression? Well, like a year or more. How long do we treat an infection? A week or two? So it's okay to have no cheese, avocado, wine, beer, soup, etc. for like a week or two. But have it for a whole year or the rest of your life? That's why we don't use these very much. All right, next we have the serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. The reason they're called selective is because they only work on serotonin. Now, what are they going to do to the serotonin levels? Do they make them go up or down? Up. Now, the first one came out in 1987, which is only 21 years ago. Now, a lot of you guys think that's like forever because you're only 20 years old. But it's not very long at all. In fact, 1987 was the year that Guns N' Roses went number one. Paradise City, yeah. Well, Guns N' Roses isn't Guns N' Roses anymore. It's just Axl Rose plus supporting band. Anyway, it was also the year that Dirty Dancing came out. It was also the year that, um, that The Princess Bride came out. Yep, that was a great, great year. <laughs> Except for the dirty dancing part. All right. <laughs> what can I say? All right, Robin Wright was better looking than uh, Jennifer Grey. Okay, back to the story here. So, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors revolutionized the treatment of depression because they had fairly low side effects compared to the other two classes we just talked about. The drug went on to become the number one prescribed drug in the United States, so guess what it was? Prozac. Leading to the publication of books called Prozac Nation. Now, um, and it tells you something about the, the amount of depression in our country. That the, you know, the number one prescribed drug in the entire country was an antidepressant. Yeah. Now, again, it takes two to three weeks before you begin to actually affect the depression. We use them for depression, we use them for anxiety, and we can use them for some other categories like social phobias and obsessive compulsive disorder and um, um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which in the old days we used to call PMS. All right, adverse effects. Now, remember when I just said they have relatively few side effects? Well, let's talk about those side effects for a moment. Sexual dysfunction. Decreased libido. A lot of people stop taking them because they feel that they become unresponsive. In women, what they do is they become anorgasmic, which means their husbands still want to have sex with them, but they're getting nothing out of it now. And in men, they just uh, they don't feel like doing it. So a lot of people go off it just because of that. And it's up to about a third of patients taking them can get these sexual side effects. 
The next one is weight gain. And we're talking like 30 pounds or more a lot of times. I mean, you're taking these for years at a time. So between the sexual dysfunction and the weight gain, a lot of people go off them on their own. Um, now, in the, first, in the first three days, there's something called serotonin syndrome. You need to look that up and know what the signs and symptoms of serotonin syndrome are because it's life-threatening. If a patient gets serotonin syndrome, we're going to take them off immediately and never put them on them again. Why? Because it's life-threatening. Because it can kill them. Again, just look up the symptoms and know what they are. Then, also, if you go off them too quickly, that can cause a withdrawal syndrome. So you have to taper them downwards. And a lot, the problem is a lot of patients who, you know, I don't like the side effects, they just take themselves off. And then they start feeling really weird. Then they go to the doctor, I feel sick. And they don't tell you, oh, by the way, I am also was prescribed Zoloft, and now I just discontinued it on my own. There is um, some anecdotal evidence of increased risk of teen suicide, um, but now there's a black box warning that it can cause teen suicide, but it doesn't actually cause teen suicide. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. 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 Now, you're going to look it up in your, in your textbook, not the PDA. Yeah. All right. Now, in my experience, patients who are on SSRIs will a lot of times say they feel flat. They don't feel happy. They don't feel sad. They just exist. Kind of like... Uh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> kind of like so, kind of kind of like someone who's had too much Botox. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Because a person with too much Botox can't frown, and they can't smile either. It's always flat. They're flat all the time. They will also feel. They also complain of disturbing dreams, like very vivid. Bizarre dreams. Like heavy metal. Like heavy metal. The cartoon. Yeah. Um, now, as far as this teen suicide, let's just talk about suicide in general for just a moment. Anyone who is depressed needs to be screened for suicidal thoughts. We call them ideations. Do you have any suicidal ideations? So there's two aspects to suicidal ideations. One is... Do you ever feel like killing yourself or think about killing yourself? Yes or no. The next one is, do you have a plan? Any depression. Any depression should be screened for this. Now, what happens a lot of times is people who are really depressed, they want to commit suicide, but they don't have enough energy. Remember we said lack of energy? But you put them on an antidepressant and you make them feel a little bit better they're not out of the depression yet, but now they feel like they have enough energy and they actually act out and kill themselves. So now we say that their antidepressant caused them to commit suicide. All right, these are drug names. You definitely need to be familiar with fluoxetine, which is the original, Prozac, sertraline, which is Zoloft, paroxetine, which is Paxil, which you should all know that name just from television, and uh, citalopram, Celexa, 
and escitalopram Lexapro. What? This one, lufluvoxamine, Lovox really isn't that common, but you'll see, you'll see all the rest of them in the hospital quite a bit. Yeah. 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 I, I know that the, day, the two days that I was in clinical, we gave Celexa and Lexapro to like four patients that day or those that week. Yes. Yes, that's the racemic. So Celexa is a racemic mixture, and Lexapro is only the left rotating one. So the two mirror images, it's only the left side. All right, teaching points for serotonin reuptake inhibitors. The first one is therapeutic delay. What does that mean? Don't expect to feel better overnight. Heck, don't expect to feel better for at least two weeks and probably four weeks. And a lot of times, your friends and family will notice before you do. Next one is warnings of serotonin syndrome. If you feel those symptoms within the next three days, then you should immediately stop taking them and immediately call your doctor. Next one is withdrawal syndrome. If you stop taking these suddenly, that can actually make you sick. So if you want to stop taking them, see your doctor and they'll show you how to take them properly, how to stop taking them properly so you don't get sick. And then the last one is sexual side effects and weight gain. Warn them about that. All right. So those are the three classic um, antidepressant uh, classes. Now we're going to talk about some what are, what are like more newer ones that are not the classic. So the first one is um, SNRIs, where the S stands for serotonin and the N stands for norepinephrine. So these are no longer selective because now we work on two neurotransmitters. So the, the two there are venlafaxine or Effexor and deloxetine or Cymbalta. Now, uh, venlafaxine can cause mild excitation and weight loss. Yes. Um, so I actually had, there was a psych, there's a psychiatrist in Gainesville who was prescribing venlafaxine to herself and her daughter for weight loss. Because you feel like you have energy. So typically you want to tell the patients to take it early in the day because they'll have trouble sleeping at night if they don't. Now, some, some atypical antidepressants. The most important one here is bupoprion or Wellbutrin. Well, yes, it's also marketed as Zyban for people who want to stop smoking. Now, the way it works is by increasing the amount of dopamine in the brain. Now, um, it can be used for a number of things. In addition to stopping smoking, it can also be really used for any um, addictive type behavior because addictive type behaviors are highly associated with dopamine release. So whatever it is, let's say it's gambling. When you gamble, you get a release of dopamine, makes you feel better. If you smoke, you smoke, get a release of dopamine, makes you feel better. So we can use them to help people try and overcome addictive behaviors. It does do that too. 
But not, that's the drug itself, not the addiction. Um, in addition to, to addictive behaviors and depression, it can also be used to help people concentrate, primarily people who have uh, attention deficit disorder. It is not to be used in people younger than 18. So it can only be used for adult ADD. Now, here's the great thing about it. What do you think its side effects are? Weight gain. No, sorry, not weight gain. Weight loss makes you feel good. Look how, many, look how much weight I've lost. And it also causes no sexual side effects. So remember the, the psychiatrist in Gainesville I was telling you about? She was actually prescribing Wellbutrin and Effexor at the same time because the two side effects on top of each other stacked the weight loss. There's, um, most Wellbutrin is what they call sustained release, but it only lasts for about 12 hours. So because it can make people feel energetic, you want them to take it in the morning and then no later than 4 o'clock, or they may have trouble sleeping. And the rest of them, not so important. Oh, there we go. Wellbutrin. And it, it can actually cause increased sexual desire. Isn't that lovely? All right, now, atypical antipsychotics. The word psychosis means the loss of touch with reality. So, a person who's having psychosis is having an issue with reality. A lot of times, the most common way is hallucinations. So, if you have a patient who's seeing things that aren't there or hearing voices that aren't there, that would be called psychosis. Sometimes, patients will be so depressed that they have, they lose some touch with reality, and that would be called depression with psychotic features. In addition to those, in addition to hallucinations, there's delusions of grandeur or delusions of uh, persecution, what we call paranoia, and other stuff. So, in addition to, in addition to. Um, the regular antidepressants, a lot of times you'll see patients put on atypical antipsychotics. Now here's the important thing for you to remember. What do we say should not never be put on an antidepressant? Bipolar patients. So in a patient who has bipolar depression, the drug of choice are atypical antipsychotics or lithium. But we're not going to talk about lithium in this course. So these are some of the drugs that we use for atypicals. Um, Risperdal was recently in the news. Uh, people are saying it causes all kinds of horrible problems with them. And you're going to see a lot of children, like 15-year-olds, on these drugs. And it's probably because they're actually bipolar. 